Welcome to Tech in the Right Direction, the podcast. Let's take tech in the right direction to drive social change and close the employment, pay, and culture gap for women in technology. This podcast is focused on helping turn ideas into action and create opportunities for women to advance in the dynamic technology industry. I hope this podcast will inspire and motivate you to encourage more women and girls to seek or grow a career as a woman in technology. Stories about the journey of amazing women in the tech field starts right now. Welcome to Tech in the Right Direction, the podcast. This week, I'll be speaking with Jane Pitt. Jane began her career as a scriptwriter for a television production company, but her love of technology and problem solving drove her to change career paths. She established and built an IT support company for small businesses, which she ran for five years before selling the company in 2005 and moving into enterprise IT. Jane held a number of engineering and architecture roles prior to joining Microsoft in 2016, where she now works as a business program manager in the Worldwide Learning Organization, helping customers future-proof the skills of their workforce. Alongside technology at Microsoft, Jane's passion is promoting gender diversity. She regularly speaks at STEM events and has established a community, Tech Her, to bring together women working in technology to educate and inspire each other. Welcome to the show, Jane. I'm so excited to have you. Thank you. I'm very happy to be here. So let's get started. Jane, as a woman in tech, can you share with us your career journey and how you got to where you are today? Yes, absolutely. I think my career journey and how I got into tech is probably quite normal for women of my generation in that it's not something that I <clears throat> was uh, considering as a career and it's not where I uh, completed my education. So when I was at school, we didn't have any computers in the school, so there was no question of me really having an education in, in IT or computer science. And there were a fairly limited number of options available that were offered to, to women really um, in the place where I came from. I was very lucky in that my my father was a computer programmer and he was very keen to develop that that passion um, in me and my sister. So he used to bring home computers and give them to us to to do some coding and do some fixing. But I, I didn't really consider that as a career choice because it just wasn't an option on the table. My passion was for writing. I wanted to be a creative writer and I was very fixed on that path. So I did a degree in English literature. When I left college, I went to work in television and I worked in television production as a script writer and a production assistant. And I thought, well, I, I've done, you know, I've, I've got where I want to be. But what, what I started to find was that um, I was starting to take on more of the tech stuff in that particular company. So I started to look after the post-production suites and the IT of the company. And it was almost like this was pulling me back to where I should be, even though that hadn't been my choice. And after about five years, really, I came to the conclusion that I didn't really want to be a creative writer. I didn't really want to be in the television industry. What, did I, what I wanted to do was work in tech. So uh, I made that leap by setting up my own company 
and I ran my my own company for about five years. Then I sold the company and I moved into enterprise storage. So um, I had some contacts through running my company who just said, right, I've seen the way you work, please come and work for us. And and it kind of went on from there. So it, it certainly wasn't my choice. It certainly wasn't an option that was offered to me, but I, I feel that it was probably really there all along and it was just a case of me finding my way to tech as a career and if you speak to uh, women of of my generation a lot of them followed a similar path they started out in all manner of different roles just because tech wasn't something that was offered to them and they all have different degrees and actually they they later found themselves in tech so uh so although it was a bit of a circuitous route i think it, it was quite a, a common route Yes, I do think that many women kind of follow that pattern, especially, you know, of our generation, because tech was not like offered to women yeah. or girls. So it wasn't prominent in our our time. But I love that your dad started you with, you know, uh, mm. the maybe desire to even get into the weeds, into computers with yes. coding and fixing. Absolutely. And the thing is that when you're when you're eight, nine, ten, you don't question, right. should I be doing this? You know, you don't think I'm a girl. This is not for me. You just do it because you really enjoy it and you love it. And it's only later on, you know, in your career, you start to see that you're surrounded by by sort of men and, and there aren't really any other women that you start to question whether mm -hmm. this is the choice for you. So it, for me, it's a real shame that there aren't more people like my dad, you know, giving their young daughters sort of broken computers and coding books and going right off you go and just instilling that confidence really and that passion yes. in them at a very young age. Yeah, I love that. And then um, you said you took on tech while you were still in television. What does that mean? Did they give you projects? Uh, how did that kind of evolve? I think I was very lucky because I worked for a, a small production company where there was a bit of a everybody muck in kind of attitude and there wasn't a lot of structure. And so I, I discovered and nurtured an aptitude for things like fixing the, the everybody's computers and building networks. And they were happy to encourage that. Mm -hmm. They saw I could do it. They saw I had the skills and was quite prepared to develop those skills. So they they said their attitude was very much, well, go ahead. You know, you want to do it. Mm -hmm. You're interested. You go ahead and do it. And then as my, my skills started to grow, then they were more confident to give me more structured work like the the huge edit suites they were they were kind of room sized back then um and they could see that i i was you know gaining those skills so i think i was very lucky to be in a in a company mm -hmm. that was prepared to nurture that that's great and then tell me about the company you owned so you started and what what led you to saying oh i want to start my own company i know it's tech and then what was that company and what did what did you do for your customers? So I was never really an entrepreneur. Um, I'm, a, I'm a worrier by nature. Mm -hmm. And I think if, if you're a worrier, then um, it's a hard <laughs> life as an entrepreneur. But but my husband was very much a kind of, I you know, I think we can do this. I, I can see a, a market here for IT support for small to medium businesses. So what we said is we're going to give it three months. I will quit my job. Um, he was self-employed anyway, so he said, well, I'm going to stop doing what I'm doing and we're, we're going to give this three months and we'll put £500 in. And at the end of three months, if we're not getting anywhere, we'll we'll stop. 
Mm-hmm. And at the end of three months, we had we had we had sort of gained about 50 customers and, and we were far further down the line than we ever imagined we would. And so we, we saw that we we identified a gap in the market and we'd also developed a business model that was actually really appealing. So we, we grew the IT support business over the course of about four and a half years. And we ended up with about eight staff and two offices and, you know, a fleet of vehicles and all of that. But. But, you know, as I said, I'm a worrier by nature. And the thing about running a business is you can have a passion for what you do. But ultimately, when you're in charge of a business, you're running a business. It doesn't really matter mm-hmm. what the output is. And and I found myself really weighed down by that whole kind of running a business. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, I still love the tech. I really enjoyed that going in and crawling around under desks and fixing computers but when you're Mm -hmm. the you know the CTO you're not supposed to do that so Mm -hmm. I I found that it was it was a real burden on me to um to have the responsibility of of keeping the company going and managing the staff and and all of that so when we started to work with someone who said I think I I can find a buyer for you then my attitude was absolutely please yes Mm -hmm. take it off my hands Mm -hmm. and I'm I'm proud to say it's still going today it's it's still running a viable business so I'm I did actually create and grow something that still employs people. Um, it's just I'm glad I'm not running it. <laughs> <laughs> that's a great legacy that you left. I mean, and you know, and it's still going on. That's that's mm-hmm. a tribute to a testament to your uh, what you created is still mm-hmm. you know sustainable. Yes. So that's that's awesome. Um, I really love that um, you understand the worrying part of the business because a lot mm-hmm. of people in blindly and they don't even you know think about it and I always talk to people there's so many ups and downs in running a business and there's so many risks that you have to take you know Mm. every day the good is good but there's a lot of bad so you're very smart to understand that and know where your limits are which is you know (laughs) very impressive (laughs) yes indeed Indeed. So as you know, Jane, this podcast is focused on bridging the employment pay and culture gap for women in technology. Tell me a little bit about what you're seeing in the industry today. Yes, well, the good news is I can see a huge will to change. And mm-hmm. I think this is a fairly recent thing. So I'd say this is this is really only within the last sort of four to five years here in the UK that there has been that momentum building. And whilst there is that momentum building, I still feel we're we're in those early stages and there's a huge legacy of, um, you know, just, just from there really not being many women in tech and, of course, that side of things, which is the lack of career development, the lower salaries, um, the, um, you know, the the unpleasant cultures. And that's still really very, very much present um, and still having, you know, casting a shadow over where we are today, I think, unfortunately. Um, I think it's going to I think the will is there. And I speak to a lot of women who are creating programs um, in their companies and they're saying, well, we've done A, B, C and D. What more do we need to do? And, you know, because we're we're, we're kind of making some progress and and, but we're not really making the progress that Mm -hmm. we feel we should be. And my answer is that this is not a quick thing. You're not going to see progress, uh, significant progress very quickly. There's there's a huge legacy. Um, 
there's also a very small talent pool out there. And you can't just say, well, I'm going to employ, I have a 10 jobs and I want to fill five of them with female candidates because that there really aren't that many out there. So um, this is going to take us a long time to fix. But I think the good thing is that the will is there, the momentum is there. People want to see change now. We just need to work through this, this legacy um, and, and be patient with it and just keep on going and keep on changing small things. And then hopefully in sort of another five years, maybe 10 years, we'll start to see dividends, real dividends coming from that effort. Yeah, I completely agree. I think the huge will to change is so critical right now, but we are yet in our infancy. I mean, yes. it is amazing how how far we still need to go, but we yes. are, I think you said something that was very, um, very important, and that is every woman on this planet should be making small steps to change this world of ours, right? Yes. Um, so it doesn't have to be a big thing. You know, I created some um, training programs and certification programs for women. And that was only my little way of getting to 50 women or 100 women, you know, mm -hmm. to get them trained. And I said, you know, all I can do is my small way. But I think if everybody does a little bit, we're yep. going to see some change in the next five years, you know, because yes. those numbers are declining and we really need to, you know, make that a priority. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and I feel a lot of the progress will be made in a community way mm -hmm. by seeing other women do it. So, you know, like you, I've gone and created some training programs for women and I can train 50 women, but I want those 50 women to go to their friends, their networks, mm -hmm. their colleagues and say, I've done it. You can do it. And and that's I feel that the only way we can do this really is is role models is by yes. women seeing other women doing it and feeling, you know what, I actually I can do it. And and mm -hmm. you've you've enjoyed it and you've moved forward and you've developed your skills and I can do that, too. So I, I just I feel it's so important that we we all do something, but you can do something quite small, which is to just try and bring in, you, you know, some of your network into this way of thinking as well. Right. So, so true. <clears throat> Role models are so important for women yeah. to see, for young girls to see so yeah. that they can then imagine themselves. Because if they're looking at male role models, yes. it's hard for them to visualize that this is something that they can do. Yeah. So very, very true. Great. So I know you, um, you're focused and passionate about future-proofing skills of employees. Mm. Tell me some of the best practices that organizations can take to, to do so. So I feel that the biggest step that a company can take to, to future-proof their skills is to move towards a culture of learning. And this is something that we've been talking about at Microsoft for a long time, really since Satya Nadella came into the business in 2014 and said, we're not going to be a know-it-all organization. We're going to be a learn-it-all organization. Mm -hmm. And of course, you can't just land a culture overnight. You can't just say, right, we're changing the culture. On Monday, the culture changes. You know, mm -hmm. it's it comes from people and it spreads slowly and it takes a long time. But really, companies have to start because employee employees need to feel empowered to learn in the best way for their own particular circumstances. And they also need to be able to identify the skills that they believe they need rather than 
management coming and saying, you're going on this course for a week and then that's your training done for the year. You know, you've done mm-hmm. this, this, whatever this course is. It needs to come from every individual and every individual needs to be accountable for their own development. So, you know, you need to be able, there needs to be something built into that process of, um, you know, employee development where we say, well, I want you to identify what you want to learn and then just to keep on top of that throughout the course of, you know, the year and and just say, well, why, if, if you haven't completed that learning, why is that? Is that because you haven't been given time or is it because that isn't available in a format that suits you? Mm-hmm. So, you know, I mean, understanding that all learners learn in different ways, you know, that that's some that's a really critical place to start for organizations who who is, you know, there's a lot of them that are still stuck in that, you know, you go on this course for a week, you go and stay in a hotel for a week, you do this course, you're trained, that's the job done, that's the box ticked. And and that just isn't gonna work. That's not the way things have to work. And the other thing is that management need to lead by example. So there's no point in any career where someone can say, I know everything now. I don't need any mm-hmm. more skills, even the CEO. And if people on, you know, on the ground see that their management are going through learning, they're gaining new skills and time is taken to discuss that, then that will filter downwards. So that it needs to be part of that whole culture. It needs to be a culture of learning where people see um, learning as a, a vitally important part of their job and they're given that space and time to learn in the way that suits them. And uh, and that's hard. You know, that's a hard mm-hmm. thing to do for a company. Mm-hmm. And, and, and a lot of companies come and say to us, well, you've done it. How do we do it? Can you tell us how how we do it? And of course, you know, we can't do that. We haven't completed that journey yet. We've got a few pointers of, of places to start, but it's a lot of work to do that. But it's something that every single company, small, you know, two person company, five, a thousand, ten thousand, any size company needs to be looking at a culture of learning and enabling employees to identify and gain skills that they believe they need in their own way. And that's the way that we will allow employees to future-proof their skills. Yes, I love that. So create a culture of learning. Continuous learning is so important, whether it's formal or Mm. informal, because we learn every day. We learn from other people. We learn from the internet. We learn from courses. We learn from so many different ways Mm. to really have that mindset that I I need to continually learn something or I'm going to learn something new every day, you know, to really make that mindset uh, strong. And I love that that culture is not easy and it's not fast, but it's necessary. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, All right. So we both share a passion of making digital skills available for women at any stage of their career. So is Microsoft doing something about that? Are you doing something to make this happen? Can you share with us anything on, you know, um, making digital skills available for women? Yeah. Because when we say we want more women, we need mm. to provide them with the tools, right? We do. Absolutely. Absolutely. So when I joined Microsoft um, just uh, five years ago, I was running some training courses. And what I realized is that though these were free, they were attended by perhaps 95% men. Mm. and I I did occasionally get um, 
a female tech in my class and I would say to them, why aren't we seeing more women? Mm-hmm. You know, what, what, why are what, why have my classes almost exclusively men? I know there are women out there. You know, if you look at the stats, it says 15% of, of tech roles are held by women, but I would see less than 5% in my classes. And really, they couldn't they couldn't answer that, you know. And, and I tried to work out why we were seeing that. And I, I think there was a large element of, well, you don't, you need to target women specifically. And th- and there are a number of reasons why, if I say there's a training course available, women may hold back um, from, from, you know, signing up to attend to that. It may be that they have um, caring duties, which means the hours are not good. Mm-hmm. It may be that they will allow other people to step forward and say, well, I'd like to attend or it may be that they're not comfortable being in a classroom, which will be, you know, almost exclusively uh, with male attendees. And, you know, having been on technical training courses myself, I know that, you know, it's usually you and um, sort of 19 men and the, and things can get competitive mm-hmm. and it's not mm-hmm. always a pleasant environment. So mm-hmm. what I decided to do was create a series of technical training days targeted for women and exclusively for women attendees. And so I launched this in about March last year. No, it's just before lockdown, actually. So it was about February last year. And what we found was that the interest was huge. So a a training course that was marketed for anyone, if we had 100 attendees, we'd get two women. Mm -hmm. If it was marketed as exclusively for women, we'd get 100 women. Mm -hmm. And, And that seemed to be the difference. So the following financial year from June last year, I created a series called Tech Her Digital Skills Days. And this was a series of training courses throughout the year that is exclusively for women. And what we we saw was over two and a half thousand registrations and we've trained over a thousand women so far using that series. But it's the same content. It's the same material. It's just that targeted marketing that seems to make all of the difference. And what were the topics that you taught them? Well, it's Microsoft. um, So it's cloud, Microsoft cloud. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. And and this is not these are courses which are really aimed at there is technical content, although they're more aimed at wetting appetites. Okay. Saying, well, let's let's get you to understand cloud and then let's see how. If you like it, how we can get you to progress. So mm-hmm. we cover cloud and we cover Microsoft solutions like um, no code, application development and mm-hmm. AI, sort of introduction to AI. Nice. Um, yeah. And, and we have we've had a huge amount of interest and and it just seems to be that you you have to do that specific targeting. And if you make those courses available and they are targeted, then you will get attendees, you will get that uptake. Um, so I'd set, uh, my, I'd had a conversation with my manager and he'd said, well, do you want to try and skill a thousand women in the year? Mm-hmm. And I said, I don't think I can, you know, I don't think I can do that. Can, can I aim for 200? And um, and we we did actually, we have actually trained over a thousand women. So it just, it completely blew me away, the the interest, the level of interest. So this this year, which started in July, I'm planning something even bigger so and even better because mm-hmm. uh, you know the audience is there we just need to make sure that they know we have something and they're comfortable we know we have something which is comfortable um and interesting and appealing to women 
So we have so much in common. This is so interesting um, what you're saying. So last year, right before, right in the pandemic, really. Mm-hmm. So about May of last year, I was like, you know, listening to some um, show that talked about women and technology and how the numbers were declining. And I'm like, okay, I'm so passionate about this. I'm giving so much time of my time to make mm-hmm. a difference and it's not changing. Yeah. So what can I do in my own little way? So I started a cloud power program and specifically for women and I said, you know, I'll give away 50 scholarships just from mm. through directions. So everything from um, <clears throat> the actual instructor-led training to some online material to test prep to uh, exam cram sessions and then the exam voucher. Mm. And um, within 18 hours, I think we had 200 applicants. Mm, and uh, so there was a pent-up demand. And I did it very much so to... Uh, conform or to be appealing to women's Mm. schedules. So I did it one hour a week and every week, one hour. And I tried to schedule it around the lunch hour Mm. and it was very, very successful. And then Microsoft saw that and said, Hey, you know, we love this program Mm. and it's making a difference. So many of the women got certified, but not all of them, but the Mm. impact was so much bigger. So it gave them confidence. They were called to the table to have conversations around Azure. This was Azure Mm. Fundamentals. And it it just really changed their mindset, you know, Mm. and that was more important than the certification because now they said, yes, I can do this. So very interesting. Now we're looking at how do we make this bigger as well? So that's Mm. awesome. That's yes, awesome. absolutely. And I think confidence is such a huge thing because I speak to I speak to a lot of um, my friends and I say, well, how about have you considered doing this? And they say, well, I'm not I'm not techie. Mm-hmm. I'm not a techie. Mm-hmm. And, and actually, you know, it's it's getting past that, isn't it? It's that feeling that yes. you have to have a degree in computer science and you have to be a coder who sits there tapping away all night to work in tech or to be interested in tech. And, you know, uh, for me, it's as much about breaking down that stereotype and that that idea that you have to be a techie to work in tech. Mm-hmm. That's mm-hmm. so important. And you get something like the Azure Fundamentals and and anyone can understand that and anyone mm-hmm. can come away being able to have that cloud conversation. Mm-hmm. I think, you know, it, it is taking that first step and saying, well, I can do this, actually. I understand this. I, I'm not a coder, but I but I can understand this, and then and then going on from there. So I think it's it's so so important that we that we we run these programs and we do target women, and it's fantastic that and you know you've seen exactly the same as I have that we create mm-hmm. these say this is for you, and they come flooding in, mm-hmm. and, and I absolutely love that. I'm so proud of that. I think you had the magic word there, confidence. You know, yes. I think um, as new parents of girls we need to instill that very early on we need to continue to show and make them aware of technology you know from the beginning and they say the best ages to impact girls is 8 to 13 so Mm. you know bring them in to envisioning centers and um science and technology because it's really important for them to start early but building that confidence is really important and one of my guests one told once said on the show isn't it interesting how we raise girls differently than we raise boys you know Mm. if a boy is crying you're like oh shut it down you know no crying you're stronger you can do this but when girls cry we nurture that you know Mm. yeah (laughs) and so we we start doing you know 
we we could start early on yes. to instill confidence the same way as we do in boys. Yeah, absolutely. We need to. We absolutely need to. It's it's something that that has to happen. But and and that's the hardest part, isn't it? Reaching out into that family environment because that's mm-hmm. so so important. You know, mm-hmm. for me, my dad giving me a broken computer mm-hmm. when I was eight changed the course of my life. But you know, you can't you can't touch every single parent to, in in that way. Um, and and so it's the only the only avenue we have as schools. And when I speak to the, you know, I go to schools and I speak and a lot of them say, well, you know, we, we just it's it's almost too late. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I went. Um, go ahead. I'm sorry. No, no, that's no, fine. I was just, just saying it's, it's quite a frustrating situation knowing that our ability to influence at that age is is limited. Yes, yes. And I actually spoke at my daughter's uh, women in business at her college. And I started talking about technology. And at that point, I asked, you know, how many of you girls are interested in going to college? And not one hand went up. And there was like 75 girls in the room. And I realized, okay, it's really too late at this point, you know? Yeah. Yes, exactly. Did you know that there is an increase in the number of women leaving the tech industry? As a woman-owned business, Directions Training has made it our mission and passion to change this statistic. That's why Jennifer created this podcast. We showcase insight from everyday women for everyday women in the tech industry. Do you know other people that would benefit from tuning in? Share the link and help us drive the advancement of women in the tech industry. Do you have a journey or know of someone that our listeners would benefit from hearing about? Reach out to us at directionstraining.com slash podcast. Don't forget to follow us on LinkedIn, Facebook, and wherever you find your podcasts. Now, back to the show. So let's take a moment to address tech equity. Um, So, you know, with this pandemic, I was just floored about where, you know, older people or underserved communities, if they didn't have technology at their fingertips or a computer, they really couldn't get their vaccination or they couldn't even Mm. sign up for it. And that just like mind boggled me, you know, where Mm. um, everything changed to virtual school and there were some homeless people who did not have internet, you know, Mm. but they would always send their kids to school. And now they were in this whole new predicament where they would take the computer and sit outside of Starbucks or somewhere Mm. to gain internet so that their kids could learn. So there is not tech equity in our world today. And, um, you know, we really need to think about how do we get to underserved communities? How do we get to those older generations that maybe not using a computer and get them also um, technology at their fingertips. Any mm. thoughts on that? Yes, it's an interesting thing. And um, we, we had here in the UK a, a situation, again, where schools moved to online tutoring. Mm-hmm. And there was a very significant proportion of the population who just didn't have any laptops. You know, these are these are kids maybe in inner cities living, you know, they, they, they have low incomes. Mm-hmm. They don't have laptops. Right. So, you know, they've gone home from school and they have no way of gaining an education. And so the government launched a fund to um, to to provide laptops. But there was a lot of um, 
I think one of the major newspapers here also launched a fund and got some celebrities involved to, mm -hmm. you know, to donate money to, um, you know, to make sure that kids all had access to a laptop. But it, it's more than that. You know, it is, mm -hmm. as you say, reliable Wi-Fi. It's mm -hmm. a home environment that is conducive to learning. Right. And that, you know, that's really not the case in, in, in a lot of places. So, you know, it really doesn't bear thinking about the impact that that, that particular, um, the closing of the schools has had on a whole generation. Uh, it's very, very difficult to, to know how to tackle that. Mm -hmm. We're moving more and more and more online. You know, everything pretty much is, is sort of online these days. Um, you've got, you've got a, a quite a significant minority of people who who either just don't have access to the tech or don't want it because mm -hmm. products are not really designed with them in mind. Mm -hmm. um, so many products are not not inclusively designed. I remember having a conversation with my my own mother. Mm -hmm. We'd we'd bought her a, a touch smartphone and she said, well it doesn't it doesn't work. I touch it and it doesn't work mm -hmm. and she just has sort of poor um, circulation in her fingers and mm -hmm. she can't really feel very well in her mm -hmm. fingers so she was not touching the, the screen right but we we just take it for granted you know that right right we can just look at our phone and um and and do what we need to do and and I think this is this comes down to inclusive design really um mm -hmm. in products in that you have to when you when you launch a product, you have to consider every single user. And maybe that's a different iteration of that product. Um, but, you know, there shouldn't be a tech product on the market which doesn't have, you know, which hasn't had inclusive design. And that's, you know, that's eyesight, that's hearing, that's, um, you know, that's older people, younger people. It's, it's everybody. It's really taking into account all of those different needs when, um, when launching products, and and I, I and it's something that Microsoft is is also very very passionate about, and we we do build accessibility features into a huge amount of our products, but it still is again it's something that's in its inf infancy, basically, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and um, you know the, I think I think the potential is absolutely huge, but it's really just starting out. Um, we're starting out in that in that space of understanding how important tech is now and also in the future when, you know, everything's online, when there is no cash, you know, it's, we're moving away from cash, but mm -hmm. if you don't have a, a, a smartphone or a smart device, you know, it, it becomes difficult to use things like contactless. So it's it's understanding that, you know, these, these products are not going to be, um, usable for everyone and making sure that every single product has has had that input um, when, when designing in, in terms of in terms of making products available in you know for for lower incomes that that needs to come from the government really mm -hmm. if mm -hmm. you're going to say well in order to gain an education you need a laptop you need a wi-fi connection well that has to be the same as saying, well, we're going to provide you with a school building and a classroom right. and, you know, a pen and a pencil. It, it can't be something that you just say, well, that's your problem, because right. we're talking about a very significant investment here of money mm -hmm. that, you know, a, a parent with children on a low income is just not going to be able to have. So it's kind of a, 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 it's, a it's a bit of a dual edged sword, really, isn't it? It's making making tech um, economically accessible. Mm -hmm 
but also making it accessible to all users. And and I think we're we're a long way from that. But I, I think the pandemic has really accelerated the the awareness of, of how important that is, um, because society just if we didn't have tech, can you imagine everything would have stopped? <laughs> it just I just know, yeah that is so so true technology is part of our DNA now in mm-hmm. everything that we do with connected devices with everything but yep. yeah we we are spoiled and we take it for granted because I get up in the morning I come to my computer and there's internet there's mm-hmm. you know dual screens there's all of this and I don't think about the person that may not have this. And so we really need to address that. I love that you talked about accessibility and inclusion. That is critical. And Microsoft Mm -hmm. is really taking um, huge steps in making that happen. I just see it from, I know you guys are doing it from a Microsoft perspective, but even for their partners, Mm -hmm. you know, we're we're a gold partner. And the question always comes back is, is your website accessible? Is your training accessible? What are you doing? And so they're really pushing us in Mm. that direction too, which I love because it's desperately needed. Desperately. Yeah, absolutely. No, that's great. So um, any uh, thoughts about bringing more women and girls and people of color into technology? What else can we do? We've made it where we are going to market specifically to them. So Mm. create program specifically for them. We know that works and make it time respective and cost effective. That is very important. Um, Any other thoughts on what else we can do? I think it's a, um, I think there's a three pronged approach really. So one is the, the, is the, you know, the pipeline. So it's, it's getting to girls at a young Mm -hmm. age, as we've already talked about, it's vitally important that we reach them young enough. And, and it's, it's it's on all of us really to find a school, find a college um, that we can go and talk. You know, where we where we can go and and, and talk about our careers in. Because I think the uh, we run a lot of programs at Microsoft, and they're very very focused on getting girls into coding. Mm-hmm. But not every girl wants to be a coder. Mm-hmm. So I think it's really important that we communicate the breadth of roles that are available in technology. You don't have to think I'm. Technology equals coding. It might be AI, it might be sales, it might be product marketing, it might be engineering, it might be customer experience. You know, there's this huge range mm-hmm. of roles. And I think we need to expose young girls to this this huge range of roles. It, it all um, it's all sort of focused on technology, but you don't necessarily have to be a really a serious coder to be really mm-hmm. inspired and passionate about technology. So I think we need to to go into schools and colleges and 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 communicate our own passion to girls and and in a way that they don't feel they have to be, um, you know, a coder or have to go down a route which takes something away from them in order to be interested in tech. Um, we have to look at actively encouraging women into tech roles and through the skills that we talked mm-hmm. about. So, mm-hmm. so by running skills programs that make skills available in ways that girls can, you know, women can access. And finally, we have to, to fight for that culture in the industry where companies have a culture which not only attracts women in because it does things like support maternity, support women's Mm -hmm. health issues, but it has a culture of development um, and support for women in their careers. You know, it's common knowledge that women drop out of 
you, you can attract women to your company, but far more women leave tech mm-hmm. than mm-hmm. than men do. And in mm-hmm. any situation where 100 men have been promoted, you're likely to see perhaps 80 women being promoted at the yes. same time. So we have a problem in terms of nurturing the careers of women. And so, you know, we can put all this effort into building a pipeline for women, getting more women into tech. We have to have a culture that keeps them there, encourages them and develops them and nurtures them. So I think it's those three things that we have to think about. And um, it's not one person. You know, you can't go to to one person in the industry and say, right, I want this to change. It's on you. You know, as Mm -hmm. you said at the beginning, it's on all of us. Mm -hmm. We all have to take little steps. We all have to um, stand up and speak out when we see things that aren't working. And we all have to be passionate and active about the things that we know we need. And if if we can do that and we can and this applies to people of color as well, because obviously, you know, it's it's worse in some ways for them um, Mm -hmm. because it's as hard as it is to be a woman in tech to be, um, you know, a, a color man or or in fact worse a a sort of black a black girl Mm -hmm. you just Mm -hmm. you just don't see those role models so you know we have to make sure that the the women that are there in tech um, are visible as role models and that we're nurturing them throughout that career life cycle and and that's you know that's the only way that we're going to see things change over time that's absolutely 100% correct. And I think um, one aha moment I had when you were saying those things is, you know, the coding piece. All girls think if you go into computers, you need to code. So, yeah. and all the programs today for girls are all on coding. Mm, so, they of are. course, they're going to think that. Mm. So, really to go and create this awareness at that 8 to 13 age of showing them role models in marketing, in sales, mm. in customer experience to show them that there are people who are doing this and this is technology today. Mm. And I love that. And I think we need to change that coding. There's there's a place yes. for coding, yes. but there's also other programs that we need to have for girls that show yes. them the, um, you know, what that piece of technology Definitely. looks like. Yeah. Yes. I, I ran a, um, a webinar, series of webinars for girls in um, about AI. Mm-hmm. And a lot of most of them didn't really know what AI was at all. You know, they mm-hmm. think maybe it's um, Terminator, you know, it's bad. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And actually, we showed them how AI was used in elephant conservation, in Office 365 to um, to to improve your PowerPoint presentation. We showed oh. them AI across this mm-hmm. whole spectrum of uses, and they were absolutely amazed by this. Mm-hmm. And a lot of them came away saying, "I could change my world by using AI." And and it's things like that is, you know, yes, we do need to look at coding, but we need to look at AI. We need to look at infrastructure. My, my background is actually infrastructure engineering. Mm-hmm. We're still going to need those. It's not right. something that immediately springs to mind and you think of exciting careers. But actually, you know, it it is it is an area of tech that we need to develop. So we have to take that broader view and expose girls to really that whole that whole spectrum of roles. Um, not just think about coding, and I and I think that's the mistake we're we're making at the moment is to focus very, you know, put put coding under the microscope, and actually we need to be broader. Yeah, you're spot on on that. We have a lot of work to do, and we are, you know, making little strides, which will help, you know, in the future to change that that dynamic. So that's mm. great. Um, so on a personal note, where's the fa- your most favorite pa- place that you've traveled? 
too. And I know we haven't traveled in the last year, year mm -hmm. and a half a lot. But um, what what is your most favorite place that you've been to and why? I think um, right now, I think uh, my my favorite place would be Hawaii. Mm -hmm. I, I, I traveled to Hawaii um, a few years ago and, and I just absolutely loved it. I thought this is a place that has so much. It just has, um, it, it's just got so many different aspects to it mm -hmm. that you could just spend weeks and weeks and weeks there in different places, seeing different things and seeing all of this history in the landscape and then enjoying the beautiful beaches and the fantastic food. And I absolutely fell in love with Hawaii. That's great. That's one yeah. of my favorite places as well. And there's so much peace and tranquility oh. there. I yeah. felt I could sit and just reflect and think, you know, whereas some yes. other places might be hustle bustle, whereas Hawaii mm. is that peace. Yeah. Yes. And if you want awesome. a bit of hustle bustle, you can go to Honolulu. Yep. But then you can go back to um, Kauai and mm -hmm. sit in the rainforest and just enjoy that peace. So, yeah, really yeah, beautiful yeah. place. You're very lucky that you're a bit closer to it than I am. Yeah. <laughs> Actually, you know, when we were in Chicago, it was like an eight hour over eight hour flight. And my husband just does not like long flights. Mm. And so now that we're in Arizona, it's a little bit closer. It's about five mm. hours. So we went oh, a couple Ago, that was really fun. <laughs> for me it's 20 it, it was a 26 hour journey so. oh my gosh that is a long journey that's yes. like my journey that on my to-do list or but my bucket list is to go to australia yeah and it's so far away <laughs> it is, yes yeah absolutely but worth yeah. it definitely yeah, worth it definitely. I'm sure. yeah so Jane, this was such a pleasure. I'm so, it's such an honor to have you on my show. In closing, what advice would you give to a woman who might be considering a career in the tech industry but just doesn't know how to get started? There is so many free resources to get you started on that career. And I would say the biggest thing is keep an open mind. Do not let those voices that say you're not techie, you don't understand, this is not my world I'm not comfortable here you you just cannot listen to those voices there's so many free resources there's so much training available there's so much support there are so many networks for women who want to get into tech just immerse yourself in that world um, find some people who support you find some people who could mentor you be a role model point you in the direction of digital skills and just don't let those doubts and that lack of confidence put you off because tech is a great place to work. The, I've had a long career in tech and no role I've ever done has ever been the same as the other. Mm -hmm. um, and every two years we go, we undergo a complete change and it's kind of start again and refresh and learn something new. And, and it's never boring. It's always fun and always interesting and exciting. So I would say, you know, it's a great place to be. Just just go for it and just find the support because it is absolutely out there. That's great. Great advice. Thank you again, Jane. This was such a pleasure to have you on the show and we share a lot of passions. So would love to keep in touch and, you know, continue our discussions of how we can help get more women and girls into technology. So if you could share with our listeners how they can get a hold of you. Yeah, absolutely. You can connect with me on LinkedIn if you search for Jane Pitt on LinkedIn. Um, the picture is of me on a motorbike. Um, I oh, was on a, tra cool. a track day, so I'm on a Honda CBR, a 600RR, 
And um, that's when you see that picture, that's me. So please do connect with me on um, LinkedIn. Great. Thank you again. It was a pleasure. Thank you very much, Jennifer. Love to speak to you. Thank you for listening to Tech in the Right Direction. Please take a minute to subscribe or follow so that you never miss an episode. Also, don't forget to like, share, and comment. Thank you. See you next week. From IT skill enhancements to end-user adoption training, Directions Training is your resource to help optimize the effectiveness of your technology investments. Over half a million students have taken advantage of our wide selection of technology and business training solutions covering the most popular applications today, such as Microsoft 365, Azure, Windows 10, and more. As a podcast listener, we invite you to take advantage of an exclusive offer. Receive 30 days of free access to our Microsoft official curriculum on-demand courses for IT professionals or end-users. Visit us at www.directionstraining.com slash podcast to claim this offer today. Hurry, this offer is only available for a limited time. Success is a journey. Ask for directions.